Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, uh, and we're back. This is going to be kind of a, a bonus episode. Uh, this isn't going to be a part of the regular rotation. Uh, we're not necessarily asking any theological questions here. Uh, we thought that it would be good to make a podcast um, about the uh, the school shooting that happened. I think it happened last week. Right, I'm not wrong about that. So, yeah. Last week um, in Tennessee, uh, there was a a transgender person went into a Christian school and shot up, shot the school, ki- killed three students and three teachers. I think one of the teachers was a su- substitute teacher. Each yeah. teacher was over sixty, and I think all the students were nine years old, mm-hmm. or in between six and, and nine think, years old. I think the African American man that was killed, I think, was the janitor. Yeah, and there was a janitor, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Um, the, so I've seen on social media, a lot of different responses to the circulating within the Christian, uh, the Christian social media, uh, I don't know, atmosphere or whatever. Um, and I think I thought it'd be good for us to do a podcast on how should Christians respond to things like this? Uh, you're getting things all over, like all across the board. So you'll have some people how to think and how to speak. right, Right. Yeah. And so you'll have some people be like, Respond in a very reactionary, like very, very Republican, uh, like screw transgenders. I hate transgender people. And then you'll have some people react in a very, very progressive. This is Christian's fault for pushing ideologies on people and uh, and that we should just love each other and things like that. And I think that there's like I think that there's a way to look at this where you're not isolating everybody, but you're taking into consideration what what because taking into consideration what actually happened. Um, I guess pursuing justice and also yeah. pursuing like talking about the right things and, and talking mm-hmm. about them within the right context and not blowing up too soon. Um, it's been several, it's been a week, I think since the shooting and we haven't put anything yeah. out and because the investigation is still going. Yeah. So, well, and also you would be curious to see the manifesto right. of the shooter as right. well to kind of be clear about the person's motives, Motive it. Yeah, which motivate. people have speculated about those motives, but right. I'm not sure we've had a public release no. of those motives or at least been able to verify it. So if a news store says this was this person's motives, we have been able to look at the person's writings or manifestos and be sure of that. Right, 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 right. So I think I've seen some stuff. I, can I say one more thing? Yeah. I don't we, you said there's a Republican and a progressive response to this. I think I would want to say a reactionary. Um, right. So like some, there are some Both people of them are reactionary. Republican yeah, yeah. And they, they respond in a reactionary way by yeah, like a, yeah, just attacking yeah. the humanity of the shooter. Yeah. yeah which yeah, is, yeah. I mean, in some ways you could say is deserved, right? And then other people right. will act, are attacking right. the broader context. Yeah. And it's, it's comically the opposite of what would happen if the shooter was from a group we would consider conservative. Right. If right. it was, if this would have been a white man who right. was connected with some far right group, right. Then, um, people on the right would say something like, well, you know what, when you drive white men, when you say nothing, but nothing but evil about white men for 20 years, you drive them crazy. And you, like you're going to drive a certain very small percentage of them nuts Yeah. who are already nuts. Yeah. You're going to give them a reason to be crazy yeah. and they're going to do yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and, but that nobody on the left would accept would have accepted that. Right. They would right. have been like, that's just a bunch of white privilege, blah, 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 blah. Right, they would right, have said, this right. person is responsible for what they do. It shows that right. your movement is sick, right. which means if you were to be honest yeah. and flip it around on this one, mm-hmm. you would have to say that the transgender ideological movement is sick, that that is the problem here. Yeah. And none of them will accept that, which leads to two options. Either a, the far right in America is sick 
right. and the far left, including certain parts of transgender ideology are sick and it produces this, or you were wrong to attack the far right people because of what that far right lunatic did because they were a lunatic. Right, 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 right. right. And so, and I think that it's probably a little bit of a mixture of right. both. Yeah. I and think that there's something wrong with the far left and far right ideologies in America. Yeah. And there's a certain percentage of mentally unstable people yeah. for whom the result of that is catastrophic. Yeah. And I want to say that one of the motivations to making this podcast for me was to talk about like in these situations, people, the first thing they do is they go to social media so they can talk about their opinions. And honestly, opinions that really don't, they don't really know much about the situation. Like yeah. they they're don't have a lot of They're going to talk about gun control or they're yeah, going to talk con- about the ideology of the shooting. Ideology usually. of the shooting. Yeah. And so I've seen things uh, from both sides and it's just, everything's reactionary right now. And it's coming from Christians too, right. who, who are, who, who are using this as a way to like push, I, I guess I felt, it feels like to me. Some Christians are using this as a way to to yeah. make a political statement or to be political in a way that can keep their followers so they don't have to take any stances yeah. on anything. And, and almost like, nobody who talks about guns knows anything about guns. And yeah. almost nobody who talks about ideologies knows very much about the ide- ideologies that they're attacking. That they're attacking or that they even hold themselves sometimes. Yeah. And, and like, I think that the like just like for the gun one, right? Mm-hmm. So it seems as though the shooter breached the outer doors with an AR-15 and then used a rifled carbine right. to shoot people. Right. Now, most people don't know what that means. First is what it means is that the shooter used a bad tool to breach. The AR-15 is really good at a lot of things, but breaching a door is one of the worst things it's for. If you wanted to be efficient, you would use a shotgun to take out that glass more quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And a shotgun is like the most easily obtained like normal everyday yeah. use kind of weapon there could possibly be banning. That would be, you'd have to ban all guns to ban that. Right, right. And then the carbine that she used, what carbine means is that it's a weapon that shoots a pistol round. Yeah. So basically what it is, is you've taken a, a pistol, a semi-automatic pistol and you've lengthened the barrel okay. and you've created a stock so that can be shot more accurately like a rifle, but it's really a pistol. Yeah. So what it is, is a pistol with a detachable magazine. So basically if you want to ban that gun, you'd be banning all semi-automatic weapons, full stop period, right, which right. have existed in America since the 1700s. Yeah. So the idea, the idea that uh, in a semi-automatic, just to be clear is every time you pull the trigger around is fired, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to move a lever or move a bolt or something like that. Right. You pull the trigger and then to fire another bullet, you pull the trigger again right. and you can actually do that pretty rapidly. Right. Right. So in this case, you would, you would have to say, okay, all semi-automatic weapons with detachable magazines would have to be banned and a shotgun would have to be banned. Now you could say, well, this person used an assault rifle. Yes, but badly. Right. The reason why this person bought an assault rifle was because they wanted an assault rifle. Right. And and we could talk about, I mean, maybe later on we could talk about the reasons as to why that's a bad idea to ban guns. If you tasked a Navy SEAL with doing what this person did. Yeah. They would have used different tools. Right. Somebody who knows been, what they're talking about. Yeah, knows somebody what knows doing. what they're doing and knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Right. They would have used totally different tools and been much more effective. I mean, I always say this, and I, I I know people don't like this, but like the miracle of these sorts of things is how few people are killed. Right. A competent shooter right. who truly knew how to utilize firearms and got the right kind of training mm-hmm. could kill dozens of people. Yeah. The fact that six people died tells you that this person either didn't have a lot of resolve, right. which is probably not true since they went through with it, right. or they were very poorly trained. Right. They had very poor capacity with the weapon, which 
if you look at the video, that's very clear. Yeah. The way this person carried the weapon and utilized their weapon in the video showed that they they had either received or util- were not at utilizing any training. And you can also see this because the only officer injury was from shattered glass. Yeah. Right there, the, yeah. once the officers got in there, and officers look, just stuck, to be clear, yeah. most officers are very poorly trained. Mm-hmm. Like officers don't get a lot of training mm-hmm. in these kinds of situations. Yeah, and so um, the, it sounds like from the recording I heard they did a really good job with I was gonna say that being personal said, commands yeah. and movement. Yeah. But like they just, it's not like these guys are like mm-hmm. Navy SEALs, right? Like they, these are not like a military elite. The right. you know you, you get like forty hours of firearm training yeah. and then you get some reups each year. You forget more than you retain. Yeah, and yet these people were able to neutralize yeah. this person very quickly because they just yeah. they weren't trained. They weren't yeah. any good at this. I think the first thing that we should probably discuss <laughs> in talking about this is. I think think one of the first things that people should do in a situation like this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but find, like, be thankful, find, what what can we be thankful for in this situation? I think the big thing that we can be thankful for is law enforcement, and that they could get there, and that they handled the situation very well, and that there wasn't more, like, more catastrophe. And this is a true improvement over, was it Valdosta, the one in Texas, where the police didn't go in? How many, yeah, that was... In this case, the the police pull up. My (laughs) understanding is they also take fire. Because, like, the police cars hit with at least one round, right, in the windshield. And they go right in. They advance to where they hear shooting. And they neutralize the person as quick as possible. That is how active shooters need to be handled. And that is how these police handled it. And that was a real improvement and a demonstration of profound bravery. Yeah, bravery. Yeah. uh, So it's a change in policy that's correct. And it's a demonstration of actual bravery in the police that were there. Yeah. Now, the lack of bravery may have been the reason why the Texas one went the way it did. It may not have been a policy right. issue. Right. I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. And so in this case, I think I think the police did the right thing. And because of that, I mean, to be in a, in a school like that with, I want to say enrollment was something like 217 students. It was there were a lot of people and 33 teachers, I think is what one news report said. That's a lot of people in a fairly small place with not a lot of security. Mm-hmm. A lot of people could have died. Yeah. And for only six yeah. to have died, that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the police officers did a great job. And I think that it should be one of the first responses, obviously, after after hearing about this. I think for a healthy person, obviously, mm-hmm. it should be sadness, grief, and sorrow, but yeah. also thankfulness to the to people who, I mean, yeah. those police officers. I also think this is a good example. I think it was Ted Cruz who recently sought to make it so that schools could use the money that was given to them for COVID for safety, for safety uh, in the school for people like active shooters. And Democrats have been really against this. They voted, I think, just down party lines against it. However, I think what they fear is like security guards in schools with guns, which I think that's a debate to have. I actually do think security guards in schools with guns is a good idea. Seems like the schools who do do that, private schools who do do that, are incredibly well, safe. we know explicitly from what this shooter said was the reason why this person picked this Christian school is because it was a soft target. Yeah. The other places that she looked at, she she actually wrote in like her man, part. This it, We've been told this is in the manifesto. We don't have the manifesto, yeah. but that they the person cased six or eight places wow. and found yeah. some of them being like having too much security. Yeah. And so part of this is it's very common within. So I, I yeah. have done some work mm-hmm. within the security stuff, right? Um, hardening your hardening the target can be done in various ways. One of those is, and they mentioned this in one of the interviews, is coming up with um, external cameras that have AI that utilize artificial intelligence to see if somebody's carrying a gun in their hands openly. Because people like this actually will have the gun out as they walk up to the school. If your video camera has AI recognition, say somebody with a gun is coming at school, 
And you can determine that from 50 yards you away. You just up. buy yourself 10, 15 really critical seconds yeah. where you can start barricading stuff in front of the road or whatever. Also, people don't understand. There is a, I, I would say, relatively inexpensive kind of film that they have now that you can treat doors and windows with so that if somebody comes up with an AR-15 is shooting out the glass, when when the bullet hits the window, it goes through, but it doesn't shatter the glass. And the film holds the broken glass together so that you can't breach. And when testing this with military people, it still takes something like a minute and 30 seconds to breach a filmed window. Yeah. So So it buys time. It buys you, yeah, in very critical time. By the, by the like in a minute and a half, if you can if if you can get on the comm at a school and say active shooter breaching, you can get all of the kids in the classrooms. You can get the doors closed and locked, and you can get barricades. You can get barricades and, yeah. up against the door, and, and then potentially get people out. And, and you've already them. called yeah. the police, so you've sh- yeah. so now in that minute and a half, the police are already on their way. You're barricading kids in, or you're flighting, you're running, or you're getting, right. or if there's a security guard that has a weapon, they're getting ready to right. prepare for that person breaching the door. Because once that person starts pushing their way through the, the door, right. that's the perfect time to shoot them. Right. Because they're not, they're not shooting and right. they're trying to get through the door. Right. Yeah. So you have, uh, you have the chance to get a response in for the, your responsive shooter to get in a tactical position. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, and so putting that film up on a school, right. that's probably a $50,000 proposition to cover most of the windows and all of the main access doors on the first right. floor but it's it can be worth it i mean it seems right. like it's worth it yeah right i mean i so i'm not gonna say so right. people who are listening may not know this i am a pastor of a church yeah very similar we have a christian school attached to the church it has about 217 students yeah. with 33 teachers like literally this is my Same. life we're talking about here yeah, and we have had students come through that identified as non-binary or transgender or gay. And these are kids that like didn't receive the kind of affirmation they would receive right. at a public school. Right. I think they received personal affirmation. They were cared for as human beings, but we, we don't countenance that ideology. Right. Right. And so you could imagine this happening at high point. And so I've had to make these decisions and at a church like ours to decide to spend $40,000 to film windows and doors mm-hmm. is a difficult financial decision yeah. to upgrade cameras so that they're functioning in real time. So when you look at them, you see what's happening that second instead of a 20 second delay on recording. Yeah. Most camera systems are on a, on a delay. So that yes, yeah, if somebody yeah. like breaks a window or hurts a kid, you can go back and look at the video and see like which kid hurt, which kid. Right. Right. But that's not the same thing as being in this second real time to see right. somebody walking up to your building. Yeah. That costs like 25 to 50,000 more dollars into yeah. your system, so which awesome. schools like this have trouble paying for. And so if especially when, 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 like we've talked about in previous podcasts and previous public school podcasts, mm-hmm. the money that should be going like each, each student has a particular amount of money that goes towards right. their education throughout their life right. that they receive from the government. If half of that, if you go to a private school, in Wisconsin, half of that money still still goes to the Stays public to the school. Public school right? It doesn't even go to the private school. Right. So, so for example, my school will receive instead of the sixteen thousand or so dollars levied per student, yeah. we'll only receive eight thousand yeah. dollars to educate them at the private school with a voucher program, which means the extra money we might have to harden our school against yeah. security breaches right. is actually still with the public school. Right. Even though right. the kids not even though the kids in safety the public school is yep. determined by the yep. what's happening at the private school, correct? Yep. Yep. Pri- and, and these are, pu- when we say private schools, what we mean are privately run public schools. These are schools yeah. that anybody yeah. from the public can go to, yeah. often do, like we have lot, plenty of non-Christian kids that go to our schools who with non-Christian parents who put their, they want their kids in a school with a different moral system or right, right, a different right. behavioral code, right? Yeah. And so if we had that $8,000 plus, and, and so I think that Democrats could, I think if you're a liberal person listening to this, mm-hmm. I think one thing you could say is, you could say this COVID money 
could be used for security enhancements that aren't weapon carrying officers. You could like make that stipulation and allow for schools to be security hardened in ways that don't make them into Mm -hmm. prisons. And that democratic talking point, I think is really unfortunate. I think then you could have an additional debate whether or not armed officers in schools are worthwhile. And I, I, I really think that um, you can have armed officers who carry concealed or who like they're, they, they're not brandishing weapons. Yeah. Especially if you harden your entrance so that it takes more than a minute and have to get into your school from the outside, then you can have a locker where there is an AR 15 in a vest that a school officer could get to open Always. and put on, yeah. even though they might just be carrying a pistol concealed yeah. most of the time. Yeah. And most students don't know to look for concealed weapons right. for people like that. So you could have armed officers who weren't brandishing or open carrying weapons yeah. in ways could, that yeah. could theoretically make some kids upset. However, I've also heard a lot of um, parents say, my kids are terrified at school because they're afraid they're going to get killed. Well, having an open carry officer there right. to protect kids might make those kids feel a lot better. And yeah. that might be a net gain. At, right. like, you can teach kids right. not to be worried about police officers. Right. And you can teach kids that they're going to help. Yeah. And, and it is true that like 99% of the time, police officers are doing the right thing. I mean, yeah. like they're, they're not doing things that, that are unjust or whatever. And, we, and there, yeah. can, there can be a different conversation about, is that 1% worth fighting for and perfection right. and things like that? I, like, yeah. obviously it is, it is worth fighting for, right. but like, and there, there's a real, there's they a real, do a good job. Yeah. 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 I, you know, so the real reason why there's a problem with security officers in school is because they do enforce rules and because they're present, kids can be charged criminally because there's somebody there that knows the criminal law such to, such to enforce it. And so um, there's a lot of minority parents that have just, they just don't want their kids quote hassled, but that hassling is oftentimes those kids breaking significant rules or the law with drug use and, and right. assault and things like that. And yeah. so that's a real question we're going to have to ask ourselves. Right. It's the same question as like police in poor neighborhoods. Right. Do we want more police in poor neighborhoods so that victimized minorities are cared for? Or do we want fewer police in neighborhoods so that fewer vic- victimizing or perpetrating I mean, minorities right. are um, saddled with cr- the criminal records they technically deserve? I mean, there was, there was a study done where they asked black Americans all across the country, whether or not they wanted less policing, same amount of policing or more policing. And over 80% of them said more. they want more policing yeah. in their communities. And so, yeah, this, 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 this level is a of safety. Cla- this is a classic case of the loud minority. Yep. Yeah. I think every school that's making this decision should pull all of the parents um, so that the parents can respond privately yeah. Yeah. and it should be democratic so that, yeah, um, advocacy yeah. groups don't have the ability to hijack the whole thing yeah. by going to board meetings and just screaming at people. Right. Well, and, and they don't all scream at people. Some of them are just loud and advocating for things that they think are important. Right. Um, but this is one of those cases where the loud minority can win out. Right. And, and I so, think to the detriment of all. Right. And so I think so. How does this connect? So I, and obviously it connects because we're talking about security. So these and are the questions of policy. Like and security, yeah. Right. It's questions but of there policy. are ways. What I'm saying is there's ways to enhance security Without that I don't think would be objectionable armed. to most Democrats. Yeah. And, and most Democrats just don't know. They don't know that there's like a film that yeah. nobody can even see. Yeah. You could put on a door that yeah. can drastically change right. the number of casualties in a mass shooter situation. Right. And and, and so okay. So so the, with the response. I think so what what I've seen as far as the response goes from from people and I'm going to specifically talk about Christians because I think we mm-hmm. need to respond differently than how the world responds to these things. Yeah, um, our response as Christians, I think I think should be finding and 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 praising heroic things yes. like, like the police officers 
did it. They they did a great job. They yeah. took the person down. They saved a lot of people's lives, and those people should be praised. We should honor them, and we should we should not we shouldn't say anything really negative about them unless they've done negative things. But I think right. that we but should. But in be this very, case, it doesn't appear to be. Does doesn't seem. And to be. when you risk your life like that. If you're going to say something negative about people like that, you better have a darn good reason. Yeah. Right. Right. Because right. They, they, they get a lot of pass yeah. for standing in front of bullets for us. Right. Right. Yeah. And so the, I think the second thing then we'd move into is, is like, then how do you deal with the sadness and the anger? Cause I think yeah. that's, that's what you start to feel immediately. You're like, right. Oh, this, I, I was listening um, to a podcast. I was ta- talking about this and <laughs> I, I was just, I felt like, terrible after listening to it and i i have like i'm it takes a lot for me to feel bad for something and so i felt really terrible listening i was like this is just a bad situation and then i started to get angry and i think that's how a lot of people are like this is sad i'm angry regardless of what side of the aisle you're on somebody you mean you're angry because people just got killed and this is in this is not just and we need to do something about this and so how do you respond in in a and a healthy, how do you feel the sadness and the anger and not respond in a reactionary uh, way that's going to just yeah. provoke and cause problems and not go straight to social media and spew your hatred or anger or sadness in an unhealthy way to a bunch of people who don't really care. Yeah. Okay. So my answer to this may, may anger people. So, so first I do think so then this, they can practice. This. I do think the second right. thing after praising those who acted heroically is mourning those who died needlessly. Right, right, right. So I don't think we should turn straight to the shooter. I think we we say first, the police were heroic. Yeah. The second thing is innocent people were murdered and it doesn't matter who they are. Yeah. Right. They can be people in a gay nightclub. Mm-hmm. They can be Muslims or mm-hmm. African-American Christians in they, South they Carolina. They can be the the transgender shooter. Like that's a human being who, who died. Yes. Now, did they yes. die justly? Yeah. But yeah, it, but, but I think to start with the victims, the victims. I, I do think we right, should right, distinguish between right. the victims yeah, and the, the perpetrators. Victims, yeah. And I think in this case, yeah. the the main main crime is not what, how the perpetrator felt she was victimized. Yeah. I think the yeah, main yeah, issue yeah. is she became a perpetrating murderer yeah. and killed yeah. little kids, yeah. sixth grade and under. Yeah. Right. And murdered like some 61 year old lady who was like a substitute teacher. Yeah. She just shot and killed her. Apparently the actions were quote random. Yeah. Right. And it wasn't like this person just had sheer hatred for the school because it harmed her so much. I mean, otherwise she wouldn't have cased six other places. Right. right? It wasn't. Particular. She wanted to kill people and she was looking for a soft target. Right. It turned out this place that she maybe had some bad feelings towards was also a soft target. Right. And she, I think she, the she, cowardice just, of this is important to recognize. Right. She wanted to kill like people, but she wanted to kill kids. I mean, right. you don't go to a school. Yeah. Like, listen, I'm a Christian pastor who is not what the gay movement would call affirming. Yeah. Right. I like I'm affirming of the rights of gay people, but I'm not affirming of the ideology that the system right. uses. Right. And you're not theological. Like you don't find any theological conviction towards gay marriage or anything like that. Like the, you're not no, theologically. I believe pro- in a free society, gay people should yeah. be able to make whatever contracts they right. wish to. And that can and be if they want to make a monogamous yeah. one related to sexuality that is similar to marriage. I think they should have right. every right to do it. Right. And that's a political viewpoint right. compared to a, a theological view. I think yeah. if a society uses the word marriage in a degraded way. Yeah. And in that degraded yeah, yeah, yeah. definition, it's just designating your significant other legally for tax exemption, for tax exemption yeah. or whatever, or so you can yeah. get health insurance. If yeah. that's all marriage means in the society and gay people say, well, wait, well, our unions are that yeah. then for a society 
to call that gay marriage makes sense. Right. But then that, but there's a, there's the a deeper systemic thing. problem that is in the if misunderstanding of... If society should be Christian, marriage. yes. Yeah. Which I don't think was Jesus's vision. He didn't ex- expect right. that to be the case. But I think that right. the Christian should be able to say, that's not that thing that you're calling civil marriage yeah. and is and gay people can do right. isn't the same thing as what Christians think they're right. doing when they do marriages. Well, and there's there's something to the point of that I that thing, that thing you call marriage, that concept was also created by Christians. It, it created by Jews. It, well, it like, certainly was created outside of government. So the concept of marriage like, yeah. wasn't originated in government. So for government to then believe it can define right. it is problematic. However, huge numbers of societies have marriage. And they've defined And they it use that ways. word. Yeah. And so for Christians to say, well, like, we own this word probably isn't practicable. We probably will have to say, this is what God means by it. Right. And therefore what we mean by it. I do think there's an argument of like origins. Like, like the yeah. uh, Jews, like what other societies bef- like before the, the Jewish well, culture? Well, I mean, there were function, there were marriages all through the ancient world before yeah, you marriage. could recognize the Jews as a discreet people. But was it defined in like, was it, was it just two people who, you know, shacked up and got, and like lived together and had some kids? Cause there's a, a lot of polygamy too. Like there well, was. There, there, well, no, marriage has always been extremely highly regulated. In fact, this is the least regulated maybe it's ever been. Because Wait. marriage was used to like build a clan to like yeah. create security for women yeah. to create progeny for men in their line and like all kinds of things. But you could and have one man that, married to six women and that was, that was normal. Right. But, but that was part, that was, that was considered acceptable under the, so yeah. The, the idea that there would be only one woman married to one man was not one of the regulations the ancient world was mostly interested in. It was interested in the Monogamous. fidelity of the woman yeah. Yeah, 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 because, yeah, yeah. Yep. because yeah. maternity like, because paternity is an open question. If a yeah, woman yeah. has a baby, you know the woman is the mother, yeah. but you don't necessarily know who the father is. So laws were stricter right. relative to women and sexuality. But, okay, so we're getting off topic, right? Yeah, yeah, but the yeah. point is, is that I'm not, I'm, I'm a pastor who's not, I'm not, I'm not against civil gay marriage, but I don't think that that's the same thing that we do in churches. Yeah. And I don't think gay marriages can be celebrated in churches. Yeah. Because I don't think they can be Christian. And so I think is monogamy this? is better than non-monogamy. Yeah. And so gay marriage is better than gay behavior without a commitment to care for one another. But I don't think it becomes sinless. Yeah. I think it's yeah. still wrong and yeah. against nature. Right. So, so I, so I would be a target of a person like this. I can understand a person like this shooter coming to kill somebody like me. Right. Because a I'm a proponent. Yeah. I'm a teacher of the ideology yeah. she was clearly against. Now, I don't yeah. think you should murder people right. who, like, I think that's wrong and I think she's a murderer, right. but at least it makes sense. It's not cowardly, yeah. especially if she knows I'm armed. But is it, was it, I just don't know how to refer, was it a girl or a, like, this is a biological woman a biological who woman. appeared to portray themselves in a non binary way, okay. partly because at 28 years old, she still lived at home. And her parents apparently were not accepting of her being a boy. So she was moving back and forth between like a skater-ish male-like person who sometimes called themselves Aiden and somebody who called themselves Aubrey. And and the, sure. the, she moved back and forth. And in some of her public stuff, she called herself like Aubrey and said she. And so it's it's yeah. kind of ambiguous. So I don't think fighting over pronouns with this person makes much sense. No, I'm just, I just didn't know how I should refer. Like, I, yeah. so I, I'm gonna say I refer she to because the biological, this is a biological woman. Yes, it's, it's she. Yeah. And when I say she, I'm not referring to the person's like cultural or sociopolitical gender. Right, I'm right. referring to their sexual biological, gender relative to yeah. their biological sex. Yeah. So she, I'm just saying this is a... This was an adult 
female, female woman. And, yeah. and she had not done any gender transition. Yeah. She was a physical woman still. Yeah. And sometimes right. sought to pass as one. So I, I don't, I just don't see the reason. The why non-binary thing is confusing. I, I do think the, the thing that is very strange here is I can't think of another time an active shooter has been a female. That's uh, so. The, I mean, this is a very I think it's like d- different the, thing. The fifth time or the fourth time since the sixties. Yeah. So that issue has been a female. Then it's been a female. Yeah. Uh, one of these situations. So it's few and far between that, yeah. that, that this something like this happens. Yeah. Right. And on the gun control side, I I do want to make this cheap and ugly point that she picked in some ways the right weapons for her stature as a female yeah. using a carbine weapon. And in AR-15, people don't realize this, but AR-15 shoot very, very small rounds. Yeah. They have, it has no recoil at all. And somebody who is weak, physically weaker can wield the weapon well and shoot it accurately. Yeah. And so, um, but this, what this goes to show is, is that these weapons mm-hmm. should be kept legal because they're very useful in the hands of females who need a weapon to equalize their physical stature with males. With men. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So how should people, what are some things that should be running through people's heads? Because th- this isn't going to yeah. be the last okay, time. Okay, so we said the first happens. thing is we yeah. should affirm the brave. Yeah. The second thing is is that we should um, recognize the victims yeah. as victims yeah. and not as politicized victims. Right. Like, I don't think, as a Christian, I don't want to stand on the, these kids' graves and say, hey, these trans people are go- getting crazy. Yeah. I don't think that's what should be done here. Right. I think that um, mo- almost all active shooters are mentally unstable and mentally unwell. Right. And so I, I'm not going to take whatever, whatever ideology this person had, whether it's trans or pro skater, or I don't care what, right. I don't think that, I don't think that sticking it to whoever else believes sure. something similar is appropriate. I think we look uh, at these kids and say, yeah. these children were murdered right. by a murderer. Yeah. No ideology makes murder. Okay. Yeah. I, I do think that later on the conversation around, okay, what motivates these types of decisions mm-hmm. and like, why does this subgroup of people seem to be making more of be, there are more murders or more like what, why do these ideologies produce this certain thing seem to produce Why is there correlation and things like that right. connection? I, I think that those are good conversations to have, but yeah. right out of the gate, you can't just, but I don't think we should say, but standing on the graves of the kids right. and saying, because the shooter did this, yeah. this whole ideology must be false. I just think that you're leaping to conclusions. Almost right. like saying, because this person killed people with guns, right. guns are bad and we should ban them. Right. Like, that's all there is to say about it. Right, right. I think right. that's very foolish. There's there's, there's, uh, there's nuance to the... I mean, this is a, an individual and they made their own decision. I mean, listen, when parents... When a parent has a kid drown in a pool, mm-hmm. it's very common for that parent to get rid of their pool. Really? And, and mm-hmm. like, there have been cases where, like, a parent's divorce over the death of a child drowning in a pool and one of the parents has a pool... And the other parent sues for custody of the other kid because the other, because the parent has something as dangerous as a pool. And they think that that's like parenting dereliction, like that emotional response of right. saying the thing that the person died at the hands of is itself evil. That, yeah. Is very common. Yeah. You know, people respond that way. Yeah. So, so the, the, the third thing I would say is I don't think you should be either sad or angry about this. Okay. And here's why, because human emotions aren't supposed to function within a structure of 350 million to 7 billion people. The idea that you and I can feel, truly feel for everybody who gets murdered in America is of course completely false. Right. You can't like the 365 days in a year, 30,000 people are going to die by guns, just guns this year. Right. Much less other murders and other tragedies. The only reason we have 60, any, any feelings about this is because the news media put it in front of our face. And I would argue right. that that's highly selective. 
and sure. especially when it evokes feeling in us highly manipulative. Yeah. And so I usually would say, it's done for a particular purpose. Yeah, yeah. But I also think, yeah. And I think that that purpose is clicks and money and viewers outrage yeah. causes people to watch. So before we say, well, it's progressives trying to push their agenda. Well, it, it is that yeah. in, on most news channels, right. right. On some other news channels, it might be something else yeah. about how bad the liberals are. Right. Cause like there's, a, there's a conservative way to make money on this where the liberals react to this yeah. and then the conservatives react to the liberals. Right. Which is what's happening. And like right. p- part of me is like, the, the, I don't think that's, 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 so that's I don't think you should that let we them... can't listen to the, like the, the news, no, but I, but don't let yourself get drawn in emotionally. Yeah. Like a whole bunch of people died today. Yeah. And a lot of them Unless under very tragic circumstances. Hold them with the same, Way more people yeah. died the day that this shooting happened. More people died of fentanyl overdoses yeah. than were shot in that school by right. a long shot. Right. And there is something we could do right this second that you would think both parties would agree on yeah. to radically decrease fentanyl deaths in America that we're right. not doing. Right. Okay. Because it's not a hot. It's not a hot, hot topic. topic and because yeah. people are dying like kind of like every day, kind of right. on a slow burn in middle America. Yeah. It's not sexy. Right. And so it doesn't make good news. Yeah. And so that's part of the problem is when, when we respond as a public right. to news, we perpetuate we're basically problem. seed picking. Right. Like there's nothing systematic about it. And what that means is we're way more likely to create bad policies than good ones. Right. Because the policies policy, will be as reactionary as right. the news cycle. Because you've got a terrible sample. Yeah. Like how are people dying by guns in America? Well, they're dying in gang related murders mostly. Right. Okay. That's what's with, with pistols, with pistols. Yeah. Right. And so if you want to stop gun deaths in America, and, well, and two thirds of gun deaths are suicides and almost all of those suicides are men. Cause that's right. how men kill themselves. Yeah. Women take pills and sometimes slit their wrists or self harm. Men shoot themselves with guns and jump off of buildings. Yeah. And so the vast majority of those suicide deaths are men. So yeah. two thirds of gun deaths in America are gun deaths by suicide. Almost all men. So if you want to stop gun deaths in America, do something about male suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the answer, right? Um, right. So, cause, cause, cause the argument that you take away the guns, the men will stop wanting to commit suicide is ridiculous. I mean, it just men, isn't men true. Men who want to kill themselves find, they find a way to, to kill it. themselves. And they are much yeah. more effective than women. Right. And women men, attempt suicide, men kill themselves. And people who want and usually men who want to kill somebody else find a way to kill somebody else. It's not like yes. you don't just take away the guns and all of a sudden, because you'll see this in the, yeah, in, if you go in, to, if you go to Britain, Europe, there are huge yes, exactly. anti-knife campaigns right. in Britain yeah. because everybody right. carries a knife and stabs right. everybody. Now. Right. Right. The homicide rates didn't change when they banned guns. They, they stayed the same. In they, some ways they increased, right? They, okay. So this is tricky because in Britain, right after they collected guns, they increased their spending on law enforcement by like 29%. Sure. So they, so they significantly increased the public expenditure on law enforcement. Yeah. And so they didn't see a big spike, but it did go up. But the part part of the issue is not just that in, in England, when they got rid of weapons, um, uh, murders stayed pretty even, but England had always been super low in murders. Right. Um, the difference was, is that you are 400 times, I'm sorry, not 400 times, 400%. So four times okay. more likely to be the subject to a violent crime, like rape, um, assault, mm. burglary in England because it's lawless. Yeah. And because people who are defending themselves can't possibly have a gun. Right. right. And so, and so in America and in England, you are, it's vanishingly small that you'll be murdered. Yeah. The percentages in America are higher, but the the percentage started so low that even if it's three times the British rate, it's still extremely low. But in England, you're much more likely to get mugged, 
assaulted, raped, right. burglarized, right. all these other crimes, which massively increase in the absence right. of guns. And the homicide, I mean... And a lot of stabbings, yeah. A yeah, lot the of homicide rates like didn't change, and, and they've, they've stayed consistent even without guns. Yeah, I'm not sure what the total homicide rate is, so I can't comment on those statistics. I think, and I can find that. But uh, the, the point being, like, you can't... Just taking away the weapon doesn't take away the motivation. I mean, yeah. you have to find out why people are doing these things. And so, yeah. but you're, you're so, 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 so my argument is, so my argument is how we should think and feel about this is we should affirm yeah. the brave. Yeah. We should, um, we should affirm the meaning of the death of the victims, mm-hmm. but I don't think we should try to feel yeah. anything about the deaths of the victims. And I, okay. So, so moving into the next section, I think that it's important to talk about this. Uh, now. Okay. You, you and said that means I don't think things. we should feel anger either. Yeah. But I think both sadness and anger are inappropriate emotions for people we have never met, are not connected to us by tribe or people. Right. They're an abstraction to us. Right. And so we're engaging in an intellectualizing emotion, yeah. which I don't think is psychologically it healthy. It probably means that we're, yeah, being manipulated or we're unhealthy. We're angry. Or we're, unhealthy. we're not angry. We're not literally angry that that nine-year-old kid whose name you right. can't even remember now died. Right. You don't know her. You don't care about her. You are angry at the idea yeah. that somebody like that got murdered in your country. And you think you're personalizing it, but you're not. Right, right. You're angry because about you can't ideology. personalize it because you don't know the people. You don't know the people. Right. You can't empathize. You you can, you can like you can abstractly or cognitively empathize, but you you you're not engaging in empathy or even real sympathy. Right. There's no real compassion in your right, feeling. Right, right, right. So okay, so and I, what I've seen in these situations over and over and over and over again, and this happened with George Floyd in 2020 or whatever year that happened was, people went straight to social media. And again, George Floyd's in that situation, regardless of what you think about the situation, he died. Not a lot of people knew him, but everybody in the country would have pretended like they cared about him and, or yeah. didn't care about him in some way or another. And I like I have stronger opinions on on that situation, but the 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 first reaction from everybody is go to social media. I need to go to social media and I need to put all my opinions out there. I need to see what everybody else is doing and make sure that I'm in alignment with the rest of the social yeah. social media um, tyrants and things like that. And so what I saw in this one was the same thing happening with people who don't know. They have no information on this on this situation. They're mm-hmm. posting stuff the day of. There wasn't they they right. were posting stuff about like Bible verses. They're trying to use this in all these weird ways. And most of these people are women are posting this stuff. I don't see as many men posting stuff on social media. And I mean, in my local community in Madison and at my church, like mm-hmm. these people were posting stuff and it's like, you're posting stuff on something that we don't have enough information about. You're in eyes. Uh, you're using this as a way to gain put followers or to make sure you don't lose any of your followers. Mm-hmm. And you're playing this, this social media game. And how can we get people away? How can we get people away from, from, playing that stupid game because I, I am sick mm-hmm. of it because I see it happening all the time in my generation and yeah. it's it is a virtue it's virtue signaling on social media yeah through pretending like you care about people like you just said that you don't even know and yeah. so well part part of the issue here is I mean since Rousseau even but like especially in the last 40 years in our culture we have worked really really hard to convince people that that um, thinking with emotionality is thinking and that it's virtuous. Right. And it's not. <laughs> right. The One first of the worst thing you're going to have to explain is why is it thinking? Yeah. Because right. I think that that's... Because I'm sure people are listening to this It's to lower yourself to the level of animals. Yeah. It's I, to behave like your dog right. rather than like a human being. It's not virtuous. It's not good. Right. And it makes you incredibly easy to manipulate. I think somebody listening to this podcast could be like, okay, well, Nick, 
I hear this story about these kids being shot and I feel these things. How right. are you going to tell me that I'm not thinking clearly? You're like, not I, thinking clearly. You're having an anxious reaction and you're having an emotion about yourself, not those people. Right. So like when, pe- when, when people were outraged at George Floyd's death, right? Yeah. They were outraged because somebody like them could be treated that way by police that might in the future handle them. They didn't know George Floyd. They didn't really empathize with him personally as a human being. They saw somebody, and that's one of the reasons why if you were a black man, you were more likely to have a stronger emotional response because that could be, you you look at that and you're like, that could be me. But the thing is you're having a personal anxious response. You're not really empathizing with that person who's really an abstraction to you. You're having a personal anxious response based off of a secondary, like, mm-hmm. uh, what are they, uh, primary and secondary uh, source, a se- a va- based off of a secondary source right. who's choosing to show you particular angles and particular things right. of the video and, of George Floyd. And, and that might be evoking, like, like so, for example, if like you're, if you're a black man and your kid was mishandled by police, in, at least in your view, right. and then you right. see that video, that's going to invoke an emotional right. response. That's right. rooted in your kids right. thing and yeah. your personal experiences yeah. and what could happen to your son again right. and what could happen to you. And like, and it's at a- that point the, the damage has been done because a lot of these people didn't take time to look at the autopsy to look at like, what was the science, but how did George Floyd right. actually die? Right. And they come to us, right. They come to beliefs through that emotionality. Well, that might not be true thinking, well, responding. I mean, it's not even that you're thinking with your emotions. You're actually thinking with your anxiety, which right. is the least accurate emotion yeah. you could possibly have except for maybe anger because it's defense, often anxiety it's, will produce it's anger. immediately defensive it's is that why yeah it's super narrow it's a it's a it's a reaction mm-hmm. the reaction is based on how well your your internalized thinking right. already is it can be evoked by traumas that you've had if you're having any kind of traumatic response yeah. that's going to be totally irrational right. and so it's like the least likely yeah. way to respond with a hu- the human self that's True. This is why Jesus says, or is it Jesus or the apostle Paul or something? Don't, don't be anxious, but in everything, uh, with prayer and petitions. Prayer and petitions. Yeah. That's yeah. in the book of Philippians. Um, the apostle Paul. And yeah. then that's like a, the people, fear, anxiety, and anger do not produce. And another place where Paul says, um, anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Right. Right. Like the like wrath pe- of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Yeah. That's a yeah. King James translation. Right. Oh, so it, like, yeah. So, so there's people see people, Partly because of romanticism and partly because of critical theories that have flowed from Marxism, this idea of get you getting angry produces something good. On one level, there's some truth to that because yeah. people tend to be apathetic and they tend not to exert themselves towards their own true goods. Right. And so because of that, stirring people up is yeah. important. The, right. the issue is, is like... Yeah, the problem is, is that you're stirring people up on the basis of emotions. So this only works if the person doing the stirring up is themselves wise and virtuous and stirring them up for the right thing. Right. If so, so for I think Martin Luther King would be a good example of this. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. sees an right. injustice. Right. He thinks clearly about it. Right. And then he goes and he tries to stir people up right. emotionally about it. Now, because yeah. the thing he's stirring them up about is correct. Right. All that energy. And, and he's also being very careful how he's channeling right. what he's stirring up into nonviolent protests right. because he's channeling it virtuously and because he's articulating a, a virtuous cause, right. good things can happen. Right. Even if emotionally people are getting stirred up in ways that are even like anxious or non-virtuous. Right, right. He right. was very careful to channel it and he was very careful about its source. Even though he personally had some virtue issues, how what he was... Right exercising people about and how he was channeling it were very virtuous. This is why up until like five seconds ago or t- 10 years ago or whatever, 
Martin Luther was the leader of the civil rights movement, not Martin Malcolm X. Or Martin Luther King mm-hmm. and not Malcolm X. Because nowadays... In the minds of a lot of Americans, yeah. Yeah, now, nowadays, my generation, Malcolm X is... is he's the, the, the... People view him higher than they view Martin Luther King. And I, mm-hmm. I think that this goes exactly to your point because uh, Martin Luther King, he was thinking through things rationally, figuring out what, what are some, some things that we could actually change? Like if you're not thinking about everything emotionally being reactionary to it and thinking mm-hmm. out of anxiety, you actually can make significant changes and you yeah. could make, and you can change people's lives. Whereas Malcolm X, I think was not doing that. Uh, it doesn't seem like Malcolm X was trying to think rationally about things. And it seems like, I mean, like with the black Panthers and things like that, things are more violence oriented. I mean, similar to. Yeah. Okay. I don't know that. So I think, Okay, so whether or not what you're saying is true about Malcolm X as an analysis of him, I think the idea that there is a revolutionary spirit, right, and a that, reformer that says, "I know what's right, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rally people through emotionalism, through negative emotionalism, yeah. for them to like revolt." This is a Marxist. That's it. That, that is a Marxist ideology. Yeah. Generally speaking, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I think just calling it revolutionary is yeah. sufficient. Yeah, and then say. That's dangerous because the people who are being emotionally exercised to act are not in the position of analysis to be like, should I even be doing this? And because of that, those people who are being, who are being rallied, um, could be doing something good if the cause is good, but they're, but they're also like what Marxists called useful idiots. It's very easy for them to get exercised and them to be like idiots. That is, they're not really thinking this through. They don't really understand what they're doing, but they're quote, they're useful because they'll do whatever we get them angry about. Right. Right. And I I think that, and that is a Marxist or revolutionary category. However, the, the opposite of revolutionary in Marxist literature is reactionary. So they would say that the the Marxist looks at the social change that needs to happen and tries to create revolution. They try to get the people who are being hurt by the present status quo and get them to rally towards changing it. And then they say what happens is the people who benefit from the status quo are going to respond negatively to that. They're going to be reactionary. So you have revolutionary and reactionary. And the idea is support the revolution and humiliate the reaction. Right. Try to make it look bad. And that doesn't tell you whether anything's right or wrong. Right. I think like I, if I go to a, a Marxist university yeah. and I create a revolution, they're going to be reactionary against me. Yeah. And you still have that same duality. Yeah. Right. The, the issue here, though, is whether you're conservative or progressive or Christian or non-Christian to allow somebody with a bullhorn yeah. who gets to talk to evoke anger and even compassion in you so as to channel your voice, your money, your attention towards what they want it to is a mistake. Right. And I, and it's probably hard for people to hear that right now because I, I, I can't even think of a single media company or anything online that's really not doing that. It's like, right. it, it seems like all of our interactions and media and structures have been built around, at least throughout my lifetime, have been built around and now sustained through yeah. that sort of uh, reactionary or revolutionary attitude. Right. When you teach a population that living by their emotions is virtuous. Yeah. Then what what the population doesn't understand is manipulating people's emotional thinking is much easier than their reasoned thinking. And so what you can do then is you can actually, um, you, you can actually engage in inception in emotional <laughs> thinking very easily right. in deliberative thinking. It's really actually kind of hard to put a, a, an idea in somebody's mind and making them think they thought of it. Right. But in emotional thinking, it's much easier. Right. 
right? You got to just find the, th- you just have to find the, 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 it's easy to, you have to find the thing in the person's past that will evoke the emotion or something like that. The or right just emotion. Like, and then all you have to do is associate it with the idea that you exactly. want. And oftentimes that association is enough right. for emotional thinking to connect the two. Yeah. And to connect the two irreparably. Right. And, I mean, this is, this is what's attractive about certain, I guess to me, it's attractive about certain ideologies like objectivism and things like that, where right. it's like getting rid of emotions. But this, right. this objectivism your, what, is a horrible philosophy. Right. But what it has right yeah. is to be a, a tr- you're trying to be objective. Right. You're, you're thinking, thinking rationally. Person. You're not, right. you're not letting new ideas, uh, you know, come into your mind and just kind of run willy nilly. It's, right. it's going to have to go through a bunch of different proofs and different defense mechanisms right. and logical, reasonable defense mechanisms that are set up to, be safeguards against bad ideas so that you don't Correct. turn into uh, un, like a crazy, un, uh, right. unrealistic. And, and a lot of people won't want to hear this, but this is exactly why dogma is so important. Like settled beliefs about things right. that if you try to contradict them in me, I'm going to reject you. Yeah. Like because people tend to naturally think emotionally and to be emotive, you can't rationally just yeah. analyze everything all the time, every minute in every way. Right. And so what that means is, is that you have certain heuristics or shortcuts yeah. in your mind of like, right. I believe a, so if something directly contradicts a, mm-hmm. I provisionally reject it. And in a time in, in a time period like we're in right now, where there's so much information that's accessible to people, mm-hmm. some of these dogmatic ideas and and or dogmatic core values that people mm-hmm. have have to be held in in a type of faith. I think because yeah. there's so many different ideas coming at you all the time. Well, do- dogmatics and ideology are the same thing. Right, 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 right. Ideology right, right, right. is a it's set a, of ideas you yeah. ascribe to that you hold to strongly, and then when people contradict them, you provisionally reject them. Right, but you can't like... And wh- so is dogma. Right. I think what I'm saying is you can't... Um, I don't think you can look at these these dogmatic ideas and ideologies and like... Like right now, the popular, like the critical theory, like criticizing every single thought. That's good to an extent, but at some point you have to stop criticizing and believe something and so that you can move forward. Like not all... like. Right, you have to build. You the can't just of, deconstruct. Right, to love, deconstruct is yeah. just to tear things down. The you Christian, shouldn't respect anybody who all they can do is tear right, things down. Right, the Christian virtue of love can be deconstructed through a sinful rationality. I mean, mm-hmm. like you could, you can do it, and could it align with the sinful pieces, parts of the world? Yeah, and you could make a pretty, a pretty decent, uh, pretty. I think you could probably make <laughs> a pretty decent ideology built off of a deconstructed version of Christian love, but it's does it, it depending does, on what you deconstruct. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but the, you can the, make a functional one at least. Yeah. Right. But at some point as Christians, like I could do, maybe I could spend my time going deconstructing. I mean, that's Christian what progressivism, love. certain forms of progressivism is doing. Is, it's right. seeking to, it's seeking to, to right. create a new definition of and love. And so Christians need to be, and I think a lot of people, not just Christians, they need to find out what are the dogmatic ideologies that I'm going to stick to. Mm-hmm. And, have a, a particular amount of belief and faith in those ideas, even yeah. if they can't totally rationally understand them. Because not everybody has yeah. the IQ level and int- intelligence to understand everything. That they yeah, believe. but I, I, yes, I totally agree with that. I, th- I, th- I do think for, in order for that to work, especially for younger people, is you, you need to know something about the mental game that's being played on you. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like you have yeah. to know a little bit of the psychological gamesmanship that's making you a useful idiot. So, I mean, I remember when I was in college and I was starting to read um, and I was, I read a bunch of books by Francis Schaeffer and Schaeffer, one of the things that he was kind of famous for was he would start with like Aquinas 
and he would uh-huh. work through Western civilization and how it had changed. This yeah, this is yeah. long before like, um, who's the guy from, from Pennsylvania who wrote the book recently? Um, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Oh, that Truman, kind of idea, Truman. like to take you through a history of ideas yeah. and to show you how these ideas have changed and how they're affecting you. Look, look, I think for me, the person that did that was Ben Shapiro. He wrote right, the right side of history and he did the same exact thing. Right. He started all thousands of years ago. Here's this person, this person, here's the, how this built off of this. Yeah. 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 I think a, b- a bunch of stuff by Rodney Stark is great. There's lots yeah. of places to go for yeah, this. There, yeah. And, and some of these, yeah. and some of them are more popular than others. Like yeah, the yeah. Ben Shapiro's is going to be more popular yeah. and then people are going to hate it more because of that. Because of that. And, be- and, and because I'm, some of the things they'll say is like, well, that's right. not technically true, but right. you're like, well, the point here is the swath. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that through romanticism, yeah. we have moved towards more emotionalized thinking and we've tried to replace religion as an ordering of meaning with something else, which is our, our feeling about nature. Right. Right. And then that got personalized and internalized. Right. So we believe that being an individual and expressing that individualism right. is the most authentic thing. So we got expressive individualism. And then it became politicized. Uh, ulti- right. Ultimately, it becomes politicized right. because politicized can- and dehumanized right. so that you have transhumanism. Yeah. And what a friend of mine is starting to call Gnostic identitarianism. Yeah. Is that what? That's what Adam Mabry calls it. And I I think that's a very good good description. It's like, it's like I have knowledge that is secret knowledge that I get in some way that nobody else can access. It's my own psychological knowledge. And my identity is completely created by that Gnostic knowledge. It's it's like, it is, (laughs) it is like a, it's what Christianity is at its core, except for Christianity doesn't. Right. There's the, there's the mysticism well, except, and except, the objective truth. No, it's the opposite of Christianity. No, no, I know. The it's the opposite, but it, it holds the same the Christianity same is the glue. same in that both are identitarian. Both define your identity. But the difference between Gnosticism and Christianity is Gnosticism is a secret knowledge that is subjective and not public. And and the reason why the New Testament authors absolutely rejected proto-Gnosticism or Gnosticism as it was becoming a philosophy right. was by saying, no, the truth that defines you is outside of you. In the man, Jesus Christ, who acted publicly in a way everybody can see and understand and defines you. So everybody around you knows your nature. Everybody knows that you have indwelling sin. Everybody knows that your heart is desperately wicked. Everybody knows that you have the dignity of being created in the image of God. And everybody knows that your redemption comes from you being defined by the external Christ who died for all to see and rose for all to know. Right. So your personal identity is... dictated by the external and objective nature of the work of God. Don't, don't, I agree with all that, but there's also the like evangelical, which I agree, agree with like, I guess mysticism of conviction. I, I, I don't know if that's the right way yeah. of putting it, that there's some sort of Christian conviction that isn't, isn't even Paul refer like kind of talks about, Oh, well, if, if somebody else is convicted to not eat this, don't eat it to tempt them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't, Right. I think that's what he says. But like essentially that like your convictions can be different from each other's, which I'm not saying that's not what Paul calls disputable matters. Yeah. That's true. I don't think that's like a not sexuality so. and murder and the Thor sort of things we're talking about relative to this would not be in disputable right. matters. But right there now. is a level of there is a level of Christianity that you would say is is mystical and that is like yes. it's different for each person and could could be considered. I hate to say it, but like subjective in a way. Yeah. Every objective thing that affects our lives right. as subjects, knowing right. subjects has to be subjectified. That is, we have to as right. subjects receive it. Yeah. It doesn't make the truth we receive subjective yeah. that like another person could believe yes. the opposite and yes. also be correct. Right. And Paul it just says, means we have to personally right. as a subject grapple right. with it. And in that's Christianity, why, you yeah. can't be saved right. until the objective truth becomes subjective. That is comes into comes you, the into, subject yeah. by belief. And, and that whatever is, is convicted out of you is in that subjective situation 
that whatever subjectively convicted out of you is mm-hmm. then tested by the objective truth of scripture. Yeah. Like that, that's the, that's the filter is not, not, right. not the other way around. So scripture our shooter in this case yeah. can't say based on my expressive individualism as a non-binary person, right. I think that these Christian people are the enemy and therefore I, like, let's, let's say that's the person's logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the Christian would say is, yeah, but objectively you're a murderer. Right. right. Like you're, you're attacking people that have not done something that forfeits their right to live. Yeah. And so therefore you're transgressing their dignity, becoming a murderer. That's what you're yeah. doing. You could call it whatever you want, mm-hmm. but that's what's happening. So, yeah. yeah so what I, what I would say is right. one, we don't want to be useful idiots. Yeah. You need to know the psychology, psychological game that's being played with you yeah. in the media. What that game is, is you've been taught your whole life to think with your emotions. Yeah. And what that means is, is then social media, there's all these very advanced algorithms that are now incepting your thoughts into right. your emotions. Right. Right. So right. it's listen to your emotions. Your emotions are who you are. Yeah. Now your emotions are also the most easy thing for everybody else to manipulate. Yeah. So they manipulate yeah. your emotional thinking. You think that is you. Right. And that authentic life is to live that out. What right. that means is you are a perfect drone. Right. You are completely controlled by other people right. putting into your emotional thinking what you should think. Right. And then you emotionally think it and then just do it because right. that you think that's, quote, authentically you. Right. Right. So in order well, to. And a lot of these people who think that that way end up having crisis, like identity crisis at some right. point in their life because they realize oh, crap, the thing that I thought was me was actually just somebody telling me what to do in a very manipulative very like yeah. deceptive way. And I brought right. the and your life will be ruinous because you won't be living by virtue. Right. And, and by reason. People, that's why suicide rates are skyrocketing. It's probably contributing to it. Part yeah. of it. Yes, so, I so know, part, so I what, part of what I'm saying here, Andy is, is, and this isn't in a left, right issue No, I don't because what you as a human being are to, to go back to the movie, the matrix huh. is like, you're a battery, right? Like you're, you are a opportunity for profit. Every human being, is looked at by other human beings as an opportunity for profit. Sure. Now that can be done virtuously. Yeah. I can say, look, if I trade with you and give you something really valuable yeah. to you, you'll give me something valuable back and we'll trade and both of our lives will be enriched. Just so young people know, this is kind of where the, like a lot of, this is why we have like economic theory, what you're saying right now. Mm-hmm. That assum- that's an assumed truth that I think that some of my Human beings age, enrich each other by their labor, but they right. also do what's called rent seeking, which is they try to get right. something for nothing, right? They try to steal from each other. That's the, the most obvious example. Of this is slavery. Yeah. Right. But since slavery is not easy, you have to also have a moral cover for whatever you do. Slavery is harder to yeah. utilize, right? Right. Right. right? So, but what if you can do, if you can make somebody your slave, that yeah. is make them your intellectual drone, mm-hmm. they can, you can utilize them economically as a slave while they think that they're free. And the easiest way to do this is taking the, taking away their ability to think rationally. Think rationally. Yeah, te- yeah teach them to live Specifically emotionally. rational. With emotionality, right. Yeah. So if you're a news media organization, how, how does that benefit you? Well, if you teach people to think emotionally, right. and then you can do a news story that makes people angry. Right. You dumb people down. Right. And then you give you're going to get more, you're going to yeah. get more interest, yep. which means more people are seeing your advertisers, right. which means your advertising revenue raises because you get more clicks, more views, more everything, right? right? If you're a YouTube person or a social media personality, same thing. If you can get people to emotionally engage, they'll comment, share, whatever. And so you have the opportunity to make more money. Mm-hmm. Everybody want, and remember in the social media age, Profit is directly connected to attention, right? You're, you, what we're, we're all fighting for is people's attention. Mm-hmm. Now, on, uh, but you're like, but Nick, you're literally on a podcast right now, hoping people are going to listen to this. Yes. M- what I have to question in myself is, am I, am I engaging in trade with you so that when you listen to this product that I create, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving you objective value right. as you're giving me in return your attention, which we have not found a way to monetize yet. 
Um, so I'm <laughs> yeah. not making, you can, yeah. you can at least cover yourself that I'm not making any money right. doing this. Right. Right. right, right. Now, but, but there's, but there's another way where I might try to like access your emotionality yeah. so that you're going to, you're going to share this with more people. You're going to get me more views and that I'll at least be more quote famous. Right. Yeah. So, so there is a virtue, a virtuous way to have this relationship right. using content sharing or content creation. Yeah. But there, there are these perverse incentives on the content creation because I want to turn you into a commodity. Yeah. Oftentimes in, in marketing and in, and in, in organizations and their, and their goal of getting your message out the, like I've seen that there, it's always been true that the further you want your message to go, the more watered down it has to be. And, and beca- that's often, because that's often it has to become it. more generalized. And to, and if you, if you stick to a specific truth, you're, what you're doing is, you're kind of narrowing in on a specific group of people, but why would you do that if you could not narrow in and you could just kind of bring it out a little bit more and get a little bit more people. And this is, I think there's a lot of mega churches are built, but like also the goal in this podcast, I guess from my perspective is, is so that people can listen to it. They can learn and maybe disagree with us and, and send us emails or come on the podcast and talk with us about what they disagree with or th- things like, I, I don't yeah, want people I to mean, just think what we think. Right. I, One I of our main goals is what we just talked about, which is I want to help people, especially younger people, especially yeah. younger people who claim to be Christians right. to escape. See, uh, um, David Wells said it this way in his books on theology and culture. He said, we are shaped more by the cultural system that we're in than by the specific language of the cultural message. And so the thing that's making us drones is you think so? Do you think that's oh, true? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because because you can't put up intellectual resistance to the system unless you are unless you really think in those terms. This is one of the things postmodernism and critical theory is correct about. One of the things they're correct about is like you can say all these things with words, but if your system is created to create this end. Right. then that's what's really going to influence things. And so you can actually say the opposite of what your system is created. So for example, I can have a system no, I, at high point that makes people legalists and self-righteous. Right. And I can get up and preach a message of love of and love care. Grace and and care, all those yeah. people will think that they're loving and caring right. while they're self-righteous jerks hurting other people. So, because the system is more effective in transforming people than the words. But de- but I think that's that's attributed to the lack of <clears throat> the 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 la- uh, it's a language problem. Like the problem is you've redefined no, the terms. I don't think so because you can tell like so a young a young woman this can is, get Instagram on her phone and she can have all the best intentions and she can say the right things and other people can be saying the right things. But it's the system of the Instagram, it's all the people's bodies and everybody trying to get attention on their body and that that exacerbates the negative feelings she has about her body. That system is going to prevail and she's going to hate herself and hate her body even though all the right things are being said and she's doing quote all the right stuff to be like body positive and like, and like putting stuff out there. What ends up happening is the system will make her hate herself. Doesn't this kind of push up, move up, like uh, push up against uh, Christianity and liberalism. The the book, gosh, who wrote that book? Jay Grisham Machen. Yeah. And and his idea that like the, the the reason that the systems have been, I guess have been, hijacked is because the language has been changed. So like, I wouldn't say that if, if you yeah. were, if you were a legalistic pastor, just but saying with a the bunch point of, crap, of changing the system. 
Yeah. If, if you, you look at the but people But you wouldn't who, do that. You, if you were the legalistic pastor and you had a legalistic system and the church was is full of legalism, but you went up and you preached love and all these things, mm-hmm. the problem for me wouldn't be that, that you don't like my, my, I don't think that it would be that you intentionally set up a system like that. It would be that your fundamental ideas of the concept of love and the definition of love and grace and all of these b- biblical words were wrong. And it's like, I was born into a time where all of the definitions were freaking wrong. I was told things like like th- this is what this means and I find out when I'm 20 years old that all of that was a freaking lie and my whole entire yeah. framework of, of reality was totally wrong and I have to just reframe it and that was yeah. frustrating okay maybe that's a more technical conversation because I think there's truth to that I also think that like for example if you are in a conservative church and when you come to church you have worship time and then you go to bible studies and your church doesn't like say okay well, here's how we're going to go love people you'll study about love and you'll like conceptually grow in love and then you don't go do it. Sure. And then, then you have to rationalize that at some point because you've got to think that you're a good person. You've studied that love is a good thing, so but you you're actually not about doing it. it. Sure. So you learn to talk about it more. Right. right. And you think talking about it is basically doing, doing it. And right. so then you think you're a loving person, but you're not right. I think so that, that can exist. So with and, and that's like not like that church isn't trying to make unloving people. They're just trying to study the Bible and like learn stuff. But the subtleness of that system that draws people into intellectualizing their faith, even in the area where it's most expressive, can actually undermine the integrity of the faith because of the well-meaning system. But you, yeah, you don't think that the system is set up in a purposeful way to get people to not do the right thing, that the people are coming into it with good intentions. In that example. Yeah. But in the example of Western society, I think that critical theory, romanticism and progressivism has very intentionally changed everything. And I would argue radically for the worse. And those two things. Even though some dynamics have gotten better, what it's done to the human person has become dramatically worse. Yes. Yeah. Because we've become emotion, emotion bots that are now so easily controlled in every, in the critical theorists like John Dewey's and the people like that, that wanted to like create a utopia. Yeah. What's actually happened is, is that corporatism has, has become more effective in taking over the drones. So your average modern young progressive person who tweets their social justice stuff, right. Behaves like a consumeristic drone. Right. So they buy their iPhone with the cobalt, Mind with little African kids right. who are dying and are like the new rubber plantations. Right. If it really is that bad. I mean, I haven't been in China. Right? It's in China. Too. And meanwhile, they're tweeting out their social justice stuff about trans people, right. a dynamic of which psychologically they don't understand, but they're parroting what they're supposed to because they don't want to take the personal hit or do the personal work of figuring it out. Right. And so what happens is, is like, you're not, we're not getting our progressive utopia which couldn't have existed in the first place because the philosophy is bad. But in addition, the, the people were, were, you thought we were creating into progressive utopian drones, we turned into to useful idiots for corporations right. that easily manipulate them to be profound consumers, when, even when they think they're being good people. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. The only way but... to get past that is for people to reject the ridiculous notion that thinking emotionally is authentically human and good. And, I, and I'm just, I don't think you can reject that and without knowing the language. I think you have to do that. Otherwise, people are going to take mass shootings. Right. And they're right. basically just going to monetize them. Right. Right. No, no, no. I, I agree with By all that. By saying all kinds of stuff, very little of which mm-hmm. should, is going is positioned to produce good policy right. or good living. I, I agree with that. And I think that, I think that part of a situation like a school shooting like this is, 
the the reason why a lot of people react emotionally is because they don't have any other words to describe what they what they think. So like yeah. I'm angry. The bad thing happened. I'm angry. And, and they have s- no sense of proportion. Yeah. But, but the, these but, are kids you've never met in a country of 350 million people. In yes. Which, yes. Yes. Know, 16, where they feel super connected because today. they have their phone, but they're really not connected at all. There's right. all these weird manipulative, like in between right. that and they these feel quote, like they're in. People yeah, you yeah, think yeah. you're feeling bad about are abstractions. You can't possibly have authentic feelings about. Right. So what you're really having feelings right. about is your own anxiety. Right. And even but if you're you, externalizing right, it right. into this, right. this totem that you've created right. Of these people who've been killed or this person who was the killer. So, but, but, okay. So how do you fight against anxiety? I think it's through, and this is the argument that we had in the Oaks podcast months and months and months ago with Jill. I think that that's through learning the language, learning new, literally new words and new languages so that not languages, language so that you can, you can have like your mind thinks in a way that you, at least, at least I think most people's mind think this way. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but that, if I have an emotion stirring up in me, I'm angry towards something. Mm-hmm. I need other different types of language to, to like rationally explain to my emotions why, like to push my emotions down with rationality. If I don't have or some, to assess them clearly. or to assess them with rationality, because so, because your emotions are often not going to be clear. Yeah. If I don't have language, though, if I don't know how mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I'm I'm. I'm not actually angry. I'm being controlled by this. And this is why I'm being like, if I don't have the language to surround that, that concept, my emotions will always win because angry is an easy word because everybody knows it. But like recognizing and understanding all the things that you just said in this podcast takes time and effort. And it takes for you to have a brain that can turn these words into concepts that can then be applied to scenarios like this, where your emotions start to rise up in you and you're like, Oh crap. Okay. I can think through this rationally though. And I can kind of simmer the emotions and figure out what I actually think about this. I think that it's done through learning the language. I don't think that it's done through, through just rejecting something. How can you reject it if you don't know how to with the language? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do believe in this like Orwell 1984. Like if you control the language, you you can profoundly control people's modes of thinking. I don't have any language for something. Conceptualizing it is virtually impossible. And my argument for Gen Z and millennials is we don't have the language because we were never taught that. So when you say Mm -hmm. some of this stuff, it's like, I think some people just get intimidated. They're like, oh, this, <laughs> yeah, well, that's easy for Nick to say because he's smart. But like uh, what I realized was four or five years ago. I wasn't ago, born smart. Right. I, and I, I realize you're not, and I think that just, I think some young people just need the encouragement to know you're actually not an idiot. Maybe you've been treated like that your entire life and have been treated like you can't read a book and you can't figure out what things mean, yeah. but you can, and you can actually figure out way, way, way more than you think that you could. I, yeah. I always thought that I couldn't. And it's helped yeah. me deal with situations like this, where you hear stuff in the media and you, and like, I struggle with getting controlled by it. Right. But it's like, at least I can now recognize why it's happening. And I have yeah. ideas for that. Well, I think, I think one of the problems that, like millennials and younger as well. I mean, everybody in America, I think now faces is they want to be in some way, quote, smart enough to quote, understand the world. Yeah. Everybody is telling them, I understand the world. I'll tell you how to understand the world. And then they think if they listen to enough podcasts or read enough Fox articles, they will understand the world. And the answer is no, you won't. Right. You won't. The really the best most people can do is become a virtuous person. If you be, if so, if you follow Jesus, and put your full trust in him. He will teach you how to be a virtuous person. Okay. Which means you'll become a real person. Right. Now, when that happens, you will be able to 
identify real virtue in other people. Yeah. Yeah. Through mm-hmm. wisdom and through wisdom. And because you'll know what lying looks like because you yeah. fought with lying in your own soul. Yeah. 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 Right. So as you become a virtuous person, you'll be able to, um, you'll be able to identify virtue in other people. Yeah. As you identify virtue in other people, you'll know who, who's trustworthy. As you get a clearer group of people around you that you know are trustworthy, you will find more reliable people to listen to. And we all live our lives by some constellation of colleagues of people that we've determined are worth listening to Mm -hmm. because nobody can understand the world just by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so the question is, what group of people are you going to find trustworthy? And the answer is, if you think you can just go on Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or whatever, and just without growing virtuous yourself. See, like I listen to politicians and people now and listen to podcasts and I can tell in like 35 seconds if this person is, is... um, definitely bad, right. ambiguous, or relatively virtuous. And in what yeah. ways they're virtuous and in what ways they're not. Right. And by determining that, then I can filter so much better. But that, the good news of that is, is that you need to stop paying attention to the world and start paying attention to Jesus right. and holy people. Right. People of real faith that have grown in real godliness and that know the scriptures real well. Learning to be uh, imitators of those people. Yeah, so you start on this small scale. Yeah. You said like to Jordan Peterson, I it's like you start by morally making your bet, right? You start with a small microcosm. Yeah. You start getting your own life in order, yeah. meaning your soul, your pursuit of virtue, your yeah. faith. And then what happens is you become better, better at discerning what to then ascribe to, what can, to believe can in, what you to go into, You did a little bit of a thing um, in a sermon a couple of weeks ago about how Paul calls us to imitate like him in the flesh. Like there's a different, like you made the point to like, you can't in a, in a way you can't be a disciple of Paul or Jesus because they're, or not, maybe not disciple or, or mentee or something like that, because they're not in the flesh. Like, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, I think so. And I think that that would be good for people to hear who are, um, you know, they're always on social media and some people will say, well, I did get my discipleship or mentorship through social media. And it's like, yeah, how is yeah. that not true? So, so this has been, this is personally for me, this has been difficult because some people have difficult personalities to be around <laughs> and those people tend to have a really hard time finding concrete people to mentor them. Yeah. Um, but one of you, the, you being, and, one, and of those maybe people. one of those people. Right. Yeah. So when I say, you need a concrete person to mentor you. I also feel very acutely totally yeah. what it was like to be a person that nobody right. wanted to mentor. Yeah. Right? And I, I feel that too. I like took my whole, like all up until I was 20 to get anybody to pay any attention and want to try to yeah. teach me anything. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, like that's sort of like the Enneagram a or the dominant person, the person just like says the stuff. Yeah. Um, they, that those people can feel repellent to others. Right. And so what Paul says is whatever you've seen in me, put into practice. Right. But then in the book of Philippians, for example, he sends people to Philippi and says, let, let pay attention to these people. Because what Paul's saying is he's saying, look, the true, the truth of the gospel, real discipleship, growing yeah. in virtue in the right kind of belief is generally something that you absorb yeah. from people who, who have it because most of us are not highly conceptual people. Yeah. A yeah. lot of us, our IQs aren't that high. You need like an IQ of, I think it's like a hundred, almost a hundred to read and follow directions. 100, just straight Yeah, up. I want to say it's maybe 95. I might to have be. The, to just be able to abs- to read words yeah. and then to abstract that into a task and to do that task. Like, yeah. that's not, I mean, that's like 45% of the population can't do that. What do you need to read words 
but not follow directions. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, 75. Yeah. Anyway, the, the point is, is that um, for even for like really smart people too, the most effective and efficient way most of us learn is by absorption, being yeah. around people and just absorbing it. Yeah. So what I would say is like, look, if you don't, here's what you need to do. You need to kill or put your phone away and get around real people in real life, in the actual physical space right. that they're in who are embodying yeah. real faith and godliness. Yeah. And you need to just like be, yeah. you need to absorb them holistically. Yeah. You, you can't do that on, even on video, even like watching Jordan Peterson on a video Talk, or watching yeah, a video. Right. Even There's some stuff book. you can get, you can pick up some stuff, you can but you cannot yeah. absorb. Right. right. And so people drastically underestimate how much godliness and maturity and good decision-making and good thinking are caught absorbed rather than like, Picked up. Right. And, and, and can I add 99.9% of the time, that's going to be intergenerationally. And, yes. And you're going to have to find somebody who's 10, 15, 20, 40 years older than yeah, you. Yeah. Most, most of the input people are going to be your gender. Yeah. Though that you need a little bit of cross gender yeah. in, input. And then, yeah, I say at least two life stages older than you. Right. So if you're like 20 and maybe in their 40s. Yeah. So like if you're 20 and single, I would say somebody married with at least a couple of kids. So in, in their thirties or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, if you're, usually if you're like 26 and you're not married and there's somebody at your church that's 30 and married with no kids, I would say, no, go a little older than that. Yeah. Find somebody who's like 34 and has right. two kids. Right. Because, right. because they're grappling not just with what did it take to get married, yeah. but what did it take to make a marriage work right. and then have kids and make it more complicated? Right. Like they're two life stages ahead yeah. of you. And I'm going to say this because I think it's true. <clears throat> Cause I think there's people from um, college ministries that listen to this podcast, like crew, like if you're in crew and you think or navigators or intervarsity, I think I only know this about crew. It's probably true about the rest of them. But if you're in crew or those other ones and you think that you're being discipled by somebody who's a year older than you or two years older than you, Mm -hmm. you're not being discipled by them at best. It's an accountability, which is great. And you should have accountability partners. You're not being discipled by them and you should not try to mimic their faith. I mean, like Francis Chan did this in in like a, a youth setting one time. He like went up and he was like, Basically, like, how many of you think that your faith, like, your faith is strong enough to be imitated? And no, everybody's like, no. It's like, well, then don't disciple each other. Like, yeah. you can't disciple each other. That's a stupid <laughs> idea. And I think that this is true for college people because you get put on this pedestal in these college ministries and you think that you're that you're this top dog and that you can yeah. disciple all these people. And that's a serious Let me tell a quick story about this because I think you're mostly right on this. Now, discipleship is I, learning yeah, to follow, right? right. And I, so... Anything that you've learned that is that is valid, that you teach to another aids right. in their discipleship. It's right? a potent, yeah. It's yeah. A, a, However, so when I was in so when I was an undergrad, I was part of a of a group that was actually called Campus Crusade for Christ, which was Crew, but it wasn't officially connected to Crew, and we no. had no staff worker. They stole the name, and I don't know what happened. Anyway, <laughs> it was the independent. It was a, it was a state school. Oh, and I was and there was another one called Basic, which was very similar to like Chi Alpha, and oh, wow. I was basically the main leader of both groups at like. 18 and a half years old. Okay. That's just and I read my Bible every day. I prayed for more than an hour every day. I journaled. Like I was a serious Christian, but I yeah. was young. Yeah. Right. And so I taught Bible study. Yeah. I like preached a third of the sermons at the groups. I led worship with my, on my guitar. I was a camp counselor and wilderness leader in the summertime teaching kids about Jesus. Right. Yeah. When I was a junior, I went to a conference and I got a book called Exegetical Fallacies by D.A. Carson, which is basically all the, it oh, goes over yeah, all yeah. these ways you can yeah. like make mistakes in interpreting the Bible. Just in the word study section, there were like 40 different ways you can like make, you can like get a completely false result by thinking you can do certain things with the word study. 
And I read through this whole section and I had literally done and taught all 40 of them. Yeah. In fact, as I went through the book, I had made every single one of these exegetical errors. And that was when I decided I was not going to go into some kind of ministry because I was thinking about becoming a college staff worker. And I said, maybe, but I'm going to go to seminary. Yeah. I'm going to go and get a full MDiv. On top of that, you were like making out with girls and stuff. I mean, you weren't like the most pure. Correct. Look, yeah. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I I was kind of a serial dater my first year. Then after that, when I met my wife, we were, we were, we were monogamous and we weren't having sex, but we were not living impurity. And so that was difficult. You certainly were not sexually uh, moral. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I was doing things with her that I would not do with a sister if I had a biological sister or my mother. Mm -hmm. So they were sexual in nature by definition when I didn't have sexual rights to my wife. Yeah. Though we weren't having sex. Yeah. And so that wasn't a good, yeah. that wasn't a good um, witness to people Um, around me. Yeah. I think in some ways our relationship was a really good witness yeah. to all kinds of people around us yeah. because we treated each other with respect and yeah. were, were monogamous and cared about each other. Yeah. But there were ways in which I was, I mean, I was not living in purity, partly no. because I didn't even know what my problems were yet. Right. I didn't figure out what my problems were until I was like, some of them in my twenties, some of my thirties, some of them I'm just figuring out in my forties right, right, right. and really starting to overcome significantly. Yeah. And yeah, so, no, yeah no, I, I think that that's true for a lot of people coming into college. Yeah. It was true for me. I, I was a mess in like, a hundred thousand different ways. And yeah. yet like you, you get in there and you think, Oh, I can make a change here. And you, I mean, what I ended up doing is just hurting a lot more people. Than yeah. helping. So I think there's, there's gotta be some word Andy for somebody who is, has learned some stuff and is trying to help make a positive contribution to another person's faith that we could affirm. And I think that that could just be called friendship and accountability in a way. Like, I think that like, like you can you can say true things to your friends, but don't say it in a way like uh, like I I like to argue that I am more advanced for my age, and I have been my whole life as far like in the Bible in certain things, yeah, or in like biblical understanding, like my like compared to other people my age, and I'm not saying the the standard was high, like it was a low yeah. bar, and I just exceeded the low bar because I, my dad taught me some extra stuff and read some commentaries, so mm-hmm. like. Uh, and, and like, I, I, when I got to college and so I was like, this is like, I can just teach this to everybody and just tell them how to do this and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And I took like an authoritative role that I shouldn't have taken. And people looked yeah. at me as some sort of authoritative person when they shouldn't have. And that, that was yeah. my fault. Cause I put myself in that situation. And I think a lot of young people do that. They, they put themselves in this position of authority because it's attractive because power is attractive because influence is attractive. All of these things are attractive. And yet we're probably not ready. I mean, like, like the argument that yeah. people make all the time is, well, Paul said, don't let people despise you for your age. And Timothy was probably not 20. Like, I, like Timothy was probably mm-hmm. in his thirties. Like, like he wasn't and regardless I think Paul's a better judge of whether or not somebody's ready to be in leadership than you are of yourself. So I don't think yeah. that that's I mean, a- Paul telling Timothy not to let people despise you because of your youth doesn't mean that that is what he would have said to everybody. Right. He there said are some to people Timothy. who in like in first Timothy chapter three, that Paul would call the novice. Yeah. And he would have said, don't put them in charge of anything. Right. In, in the qualifications, qualifications for yeah. elder. Right. right. Um, and partly because they could fall into pride and right. the condemnation of the devil. Right. However, I, I would, I do say this, um, in college ministries, I do have some sympathy because, um, so, 
when I've talked to college leaders about trying to get the church involved intergenerationally in the college ministries, the people from the churches just don't show up. And it's hard, it's hard to get a 35 year old or whatever to lead a college Bible study in their ministry. And it's just really hard for them to do. And so the question is, is utilizing a junior or a senior in a Bible study with freshmen doing more harm than good? I mean, my area would be yes, but we did a podcast months, maybe a year ago that I never released uh, where we were talking about one topic. And then we talked about college ministries for yeah. about an hour and a half. I never put it out there. Cause I was like, I don't know if people uh, are going to, I got to, I got to listen back to it, but people can send it into me and yeah. let me know if they want me I, to release it. I think, I think that it's a difficult choice accorded to prudence. Like you, it's, I don't think it's as simple as like, don't ever, don't let juniors do any ministry. My, my, my argument is less of don't let juniors do it's my, my argument is don't be a part of a parachurch organization, join the local church. And you can be a part of a small group as a junior or a senior or a freshman. And you can learn from people intergenerationally. And there's a local church was set up. See, for I think solidarity on the university campus together to have a witness to engage intellectually and to do things like evangelism is worthwhile. But it's the evangelism, Nick, I've not seen it not get watered down. Evangelism gets watered down. Teaching gets watered down. There's no doctrine. They turn, like we talked about the last podcast, Matthew 28, 19, the, a full sentence from Jesus Christ turns into a half sentence with a period at the end. And I never learned the rest of it. I didn't yeah. know that you had to f- obey Jesus's commands. That would have been helpful. Oh, you're talking about the Great Commission. Watching porn. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like you know, this is just, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but to quote the same Annalise, um, let's address the abuse rather than reject it. So like, if the, if the, like the gospel isn't being preached right. Unless it's systemic. Because sin is, because sin is being watered down, then th- that's the thing we need to address. Uh, agreed. I just think that in order, like, is there anything uh, else? Is there anything else you want to cover relative to this shooting? Yeah, we we can. Yeah, and I just you, just you for people know, some of this, we can we can. Um, let me know if you want me to. We do podcasts on on uh, youth or whatever college ministries or whatever yeah. they're called. But I I think generally, so people might be like, okay, wow, you guys talked about a bunch of different things, and obviously that's what happened here. But that I mean, some of these podcasts yeah. are good. Where we talk about I, a lot of I different think, things yeah, surrounding the a main reason topic. why I think we bounced around on some of that stuff is. Because what I'm trying to get at is how manipulatable we are yeah, and how easily it is for people to take control of our minds yeah. through our emotions and make us believe all kinds of weird stuff yeah. that is totally unbalanced, yeah. that's not based on a good sample, that's not intellectually and it's not based off the virtue sense. that we claim it is a compassionate right, right. it is right we, we want we want to say it's love yeah. the reason we care about this because we we're caring people and it's right. not it's because we're anxious right right and um in uh in uh, edwin friedman's work one of his books that i like it's very poorly written but the content is really good um the the failure of nerve he says the solution to people controlling you with chronic anxiety is what family systems theory calls differentiation Okay. You know who you are. You know what's happening. And you don't allow a situation to be brought to the anxiety of the least mature person. Oh. But you can, you're can you capable of identifying the anxiety for what it is and standing back from it, knowing who you are, and then deciding what's the best thing for you to do in relating to this person who's, who's being affected by this anxiety. What normally happens is somebody's chronically anxious 
it makes me anxious. I get reactive. I get anxious. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then I respond on the basis like a, of what they're putting out their anxiety. It's like that, dominoes, like a mm-hmm. domino effect. And it does it, it does it in a whole community. It can even do it in a whole society. And yeah. this was written in the nineties and Friedman believed that America was already operating on the basis of chronic anxiety then. Yeah. And so a shooting is like catnip to chronic anxiety. Right. Because it's like violence. It could, it seems random. It could happen anywhere to anyone. It's right. going to happen to you. Like right. <clears throat> it's uncontrollable. Uh, and we, it's some, therefore quote, something must be done. Right. Um, I think that that's. And I think that like for the sake of, of I guess, closing this podcast out and like, I, I don't know for the sake of maybe there's one person listening who's not a Christian, but they listen. They're like, Whoa, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in that stuff. But what you guys just said describes me in a lot of ways where I feel anxious and I'm constantly being controlled. Like I, I think that simply put, I think the answer to this question, the answer to the problem of anxiety is the gospel. I don't think that you're going to be able to fix it through, through psychological methods and you can, you can temper it, but you could I think, identify it and somewhat yeah. lessen it, but, but you're not going to be able to be healed and brought to, to I mean, you're not going to be able to brought to new life and to be able to deal with these uh, right. situations through wisdom and the Holy spirit without Christ and the gospel. And so <laughs> if there's somebody listening to this and they think that that's them, you, your best yeah. bet there, believe you the can, gospel. You Jesus. can learn anti-anxiety quote skills that counselors teach. But ultimately, our deepest anxiety and compulsive behavior is connected to how much reality we can face. Yeah, yeah. And until something happens inside of you where you can face reality incredibly powerfully, you will you will be subject to fear. Yeah. And so there, I, I think there are ways that the human person can achieve that without Jesus to a certain extent. I yeah. think a real Buddhist who really can like engage in a meditative sense of detachment yeah. can depersonalize certain things. I think that like a stoic yeah. that has a yeah. certain view of life where like, okay, I'm going to die. That is reality. I'm going to face things as they really are. And they move into a realist perspective that you may not have the hope of the gospel. I think they can get a lot better. Right. Right. right but I think right. to truly overcome permanently your fear of death right. out of an act of God that produces joy yeah. in you so as to produce real love. Yeah. I think only the resurrected Jesus right. can create that kind of generative transformation yeah. in you. And allowing him to fight on your behalf. I mean, ultimately mm-hmm. it comes down to like the, I, for me, I guess what I understand comes down to the inability of the hu- human nature to fight against the realities of the world that you need Jesus to fight on, on your behalf and you can't do it alone and he can yeah. do it with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think also the externalization of evil and devils and then telling us that our enemies are not our real enemies. Yeah. I think yeah, and it humanizes even, our enemies yeah. to believe that they're influenced by devils, for example. There's yeah. So there's some theological things like that. Yeah. yeah. I also think that we need power internally. We need yeah. the experience of the, the presence of the spirit and the work of regeneration. Yeah. I also think that the 12th step program is right. Yeah. It's psychologically helpful for us to rely on what we at least believe is an external power supporting us. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit really is an external power that yeah. really is supporting us. Yeah. But that's also psychologically helpful to know that. I yeah. think believing you're indwelled by the Spirit and being empowered by God is super important. Yeah. I think believing you have an identity from God that is ethical in nature right. helps you say no to certain things inside of you that you believe are wrong. Yeah. It gives you the ability to differentiate what in you you should embrace about yourself and what you should not embrace that's in yourself. And it gives you an, an alternative besides expressive individualism. Yeah. It, it gives you a differentiated individual individualism 
which right. is critical right. for people right, with right, a right, broken right, heart right. and a divine yeah. image both existing inside of them. It was so shocking I, for me to find out that I wasn't an individual, even though that my whole life I had been taught that I was being authentically me. A special individual, yeah. yeah. You actually hadn't developed your individuality. I have nothing. You, I you didn't almost even, lacked personhood, yeah. Right. Yeah, so I think, I, I believe that if the gospel is understood deeply, mm-hmm. there are, I don't know, 25 different dynamics yeah. that are profoundly functioning to make you a person who can live free of chronic anxiety and yeah. live authentically in the world in the truthful sense of that word. But I don't think that means if you just accept Jesus and you go to some church, that that's going to happen. No, you got to. I think pursuing a deep life in Christ yeah. is, a, is a deep, meaningful, hurtful, even humiliating pursuit. Yeah. That you have to be, yeah. I mean, Jesus said, you'll seek me, or well, the biblical authors said, you'll seek me and find me. That is God with you. Seek me with all of your heart. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, a, they don't, they don't drop that word, all of your heart lightly in the Bible. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we, we can wrap this up. Um, I, I feel like we talked about a lot. If you have any questions about what we talked about, I'm sure there's a lot of different, like, people might be frustrated. Oh, there wasn't any takeaways. How should we feel about this? Well, the, I mean, the bottom line is you shouldn't feel about this. I think, this. I think that one of the biggest takeaways is to, to uh, here. It's my three takeaways. Affirm the brave. Yeah. Um, like clearly state the status of the victim. You don't have to feel anything about the victim, but yeah. you can say these were innocent people who were murdered. That was horrible. It should have never happened. Yeah. You should identify that clearly. And then thirdly, do not have an emotional boundary. Don't let yourself get emotionally drawn in yeah. either into anger or sadness right. relative to it. Yeah. If you care about gun violence or like whatever, then go out and find the statistical objective truths as best as you can and go look for the best reasoning out there that isn't related to this episode that's supposed to make you feel a certain thing Yeah. so that you can actually have a deliberative approach to philosophy that would produce something good. Because for example, let me, let me just, let me just give a quick example of this. Yeah. If you ban the guns that were used in this event, those guns are used way more often in one year in America for defensive gun use, like hundreds of thousands of times more. 500,000. You take those guns out of people's hands so they can't defend themselves. You have just unleashed upon a society at least 500,000 more crimes because you were angry because six people were killed. Right. That is, that is a horrific amount of damage you would do to the lives of millions of people over say 10 years because you were too emotional to actually care about the real people who would be actually affected. One of the things you need to realize is your emotions will cause you to do things that if you had the right emotions, you would be absolutely horrified about. Yeah. You, you, you'll do some of the most inhuman, horrible things. If you think emotionally that you could possibly imagine, that's why empathy is not the great thing that dictates human morality. Love is right. Right, right. Yeah, that's it. Um, okay, if you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share it with your friends. Give us a five-star rating, leave a review, uh, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>